Good morning. Would you pray with me? Most gracious and ever-loving God, we give you thanks for this day, for this time, for this space, for your spirit which moves in and through and around us. Speak to our hearts, open our ears and our minds that we might hear you more clearly and pray that my words will be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So something you should know about me, I am basically the middle child in my family. I'm the second of four. My older brother is about four years older than me, and then there's my younger sister who's about three years younger, and then my other brother is about a year younger than her. So developmentally, I was the middle child, and I am not ashamed to admit I suffered from a very serious case of middle child syndrome. Being the middle child, it felt like no matter what I did, I was always the one getting in trouble. I was never quite as good as my older brother. You know, he was the saint. And when it came to my younger siblings, well, I should have known better. And I found myself thinking from time to time, why bother? I'm going to get in trouble no matter what I do, so I might as well do what I want. Now, if I'm being fair here, this is somewhat of my childhood impression. I was probably, you know, a little more obstinate and mischievous than I should have been. Only a little bit, though. But as a kid, I felt it was a little exhausting trying to be the good one and never actually succeeding, again, my childhood perception. I got tired, and so sometimes I just stopped trying. Now, I'm betting all of you have had a time or two where you felt that way. Maybe as a kid like me, tired of being the good one or trying to be. Or maybe you're the one at your office that is always cleaning up the break room. Or maybe at school you had to sit through a class punishment because others had misbehaved. These are the kind of things that make you tired of being good, being the one that does the right thing. Or maybe that's just me. But it brings up this dilemma for us that call ourselves Christians. A solid Christian ethic tells us that we should be doing the right things even when others do not. In my Methodist tradition, we often attribute to John Wesley the saying, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. That's a lot, right? <laughs> uh, and we quote that all the time. Uh, or one of our other favorite things to quote are three simple rules. Do no harm, do good, stay in love with God. All of this is laying out this Christian ethic that requires us to do the right thing. Which, of course, is rooted in Jesus' teachings. And yet, we all know that's not how the whole world works. The whole world does not operate on the same rules and uh, ethics that we are bound to as Christians. But the truth is, this is not a new dilemma that we have just encountered in our modern age, but this is something that goes back to the very beginning of the church. The early Christian church struggled with this as well. And that's what we see in this reading today from the church at Thessalonica. They were dealing with this issue of 
what do we do when some are doing what they're supposed to and others are not? Now, the author here is writing to the church because clearly some issue had been raised and they are responding to that issue. And it, it seems that some have not been doing the work of the community, why others have not, and some have, some have been doing the work of the community, others have not. And so the author gives a very basic instruction to take care to not make a habit of that and to follow what the apostles have done and to not idle away time and, you know, to do your fair share, maybe even a little more, to pay for the bread you eat and not to take advantage of others. Now, in this church, there was likely kind of two scenarios going on about why people weren't doing this because, of course, nobody in this church has ever felt like they were the only one doing the thing, right? No? No? Oh. I'm the guest preacher. I get to say things like that. Uh, there was likely two reasons that this was happening. One was that in the early church, there were some wealthy people, and those of means didn't need to work. They were used to having the liberty of having others do their work for them. And so there's a likely possibility, because we've seen this in other parts of the early church as well, that there were those who did not carry their own weight because they just weren't used to doing that. They were used to paying others to take care of all of the needs. And, well, that wasn't quite how the early church was supposed to work, because the way the early church worked is everyone's needs were cared for when all cared for the needs of all, when everyone pitches in as they're able and does their part. Then, of course, there was a slightly different situation where the church was also bringing in the marginalized, those who had less or none. They were bringing in to the community these who had been pushed to the margins of society and maybe for the first time were being fed and for a time, we're just receiving. But then maybe after some time, maybe they weren't giving back either. Maybe they weren't joining in the giving back and in that way becoming a drain on all of the community. Because again, the community works when everyone is pitching in together and does their part. So you have two likely scenarios here of what brings this topic to to the surface and why Paul is writing about this. But there's one thing I want to be clear about when we think about this text, because it's also easy to misuse this text. The author decides to offer a little tough love, even going as far to say that if you do not work, you do not eat. Now that particular line, that specific verse has been taken out of context and has been abused and misused. Because the author didn't intend for this to be a litmus test about who deserves to get cared for. This was not about who gets and who does not. This was not an excuse to not care for the poor because Jesus instructed us to do exactly that. This was simply the author's maybe less than elegant way of suggesting that they solve a very particular problem for a very particular group of people at a very particular time. This wasn't a mandate to separate out some as worthy and others as not, because everyone is worthy of dignity and respect and care because everyone is a beloved child of God. Not to mention that's also not the point of this passage of text. The actual point is found in the final verse. 
do not grow weary of doing good. You see, there's lots of ways we can dissect this text, a, a lot of ways we can think about it, and including some ways that are pretty terrible, but the real point of this entire passage is that we're not to tire of doing good. Whatever you're doing, you should be striving for good. You should be focused not on what others are doing or not doing, but on doing your best to be your best. You should be Really, the author just wants to remind us to stay focused on what is most important. That in our day-to-day lives, that we're taking part in reflecting the kingdom of God right here, right now, in the world that we live in. And keeping a tally of rights and wrongs and who's done what, and that's not really a part of that. Now, that's some good theology there. Theology is only as good as we can apply it to our lives. Otherwise, theology is just talk. Things that people like me get up here and say to people and, you know, you hear them and, well, theology is only as good as it's practical. So that brings me back to that reality of sometimes it feels like you're the only one doing good. Sometimes it feels as if being good is exhausting. Sometimes it feels like it would be easier to just not. But maybe there's another way to think about this. So uh, I'm ordained in the United Methodist Church. I'm sure no one has heard anything about us recently. Uh, I'm glad y'all laughed at that. Uh, So I've actually been a part of the United Methodist Church my entire life. I was baptized as an infant into the United Methodist Church, and I have been a member ever since. The truth is, my church is on the verge of falling apart or exploding or maybe both. And for the last three years, we've been limping along on life support, and now we head into our every four-year global gathering this spring. And it looks like our point of gathering together, while this is just our regular quadrennial meeting, it looks like our point of gathering is together is to pass some form of exit plan or plans and to figure out who gets what. Y'all wouldn't know anything about that, would you? No? No? And the truth is, I am not very optimistic about the future of my denomination. Frankly, I am tired of trying to be good to put out a good name for the United Methodist Church when all we do is roll around in our strife, when the only thing that gets us news coverage is how we're arguing and fighting over who gets to preach and who can't and who can be in the church and who cannot. And I am tired of all of the things about us and saying, I'm a Methodist, but not that Methodist. I'm tired of trying to live a witness when all we can do is disagree about the grace that brought us all together originally. I'm tired and I'm weary and it is tough sometimes to do good in the name of the United Methodist Church. But what if in my weariness I remember to not grow weary of doing good? Honestly, I've been wrestling with this text since Pastor Eric and I picked this for this this Sunday. And honestly, we picked it because it was in the lectionary. Um, But sometimes those can be the most convicting texts because they're not the ones we really pick for ourselves. And in wrestling with this text, I've been reminded of why I am in ministry. 
The institution of my denomination is not why I'm in ministry. The 36 years of my life that I have devoted as a member of the church are not why I'm in ministry either. It is the good that I get to do in the world. I'm reminded of why I am in ministry every time I walk onto the campus of American University. There I find a mission field ripe with opportunity simply because they are in a time in life when they are forming their own identities. And no matter where they are, whether they're asking questions or having doubts, whether they're looking for answers or just wanting to deepen their faith, I get to come alongside them and walk with them. I get to be there when things are falling apart, when they're struggling with self-doubt, when life is just hard and they're overwhelmed. And also when they have things to celebrate and also when they just want to talk about nothing because they go to school all day and they talk about big, important, lofty things and sometimes it's good to just talk about nothing. I get to come alongside them and share. I get to share Jesus and I get to remind them that they are loved and in success and in failure, God still loves them. I get to feed them home-cooked meals that tell them they're cared about. And also make sure that they're not going hungry for at least that one meal. I get to teach them what community looks like. Honestly, as I was writing this, as I'm sharing this now, I am excited just sharing it with you. And that is why I do not grow weary of doing good. You see, as exhausting as my days might be, as exhausting as my church might be, as many days as I go home thinking, oh my goodness, how can I make it through one more day this week? I stop and look at the ministry that I get to do. The love of a God, I get to shine into the world and suddenly I'm not so weary because I see why it all matters. In fact, the choice to do good or just sit on the side, it isn't even close. And this is what I want to be doing more importantly, this is what God is inviting me to do, inviting us to do. See, Jesus set out to kick off the change of the world. Then Jesus ascended into heaven, leaving the responsibility right on our shoulders, with the Spirit's help, of course, but leaving us to be the day-to-day -day hands and feet on the ground and to find life in sharing God's grace, to find hope in sharing love, to find the energy to keep going by inviting those on the margins to come in, or even better, meeting them where they are. And when we do that, this thing of being good, it's not what we have to do. It's what we get the privilege of doing. See, we don't have to be good. We get to do good. So friends, I want to close with the words of the same uh, from our scripture. In your lives, wherever you are, do not grow weary of doing good. Amen.